The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest and a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Doing well, Father. Thanks for being here. Well, that's mutual, Tom. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Father, any kind of uh, update you can give us on the election? We're now uh, into uh, December, so it's just a matter of uh, days, really, before we have the, the meeting of the Electoral College. Uh, any, any kind of update you can give us on the happenings there? With the well, right now we're about two weeks away, right? December 8th, the electors have to be named by then. And December 14th is when they meet to uh, choose the President of the United States of America, right? And uh, what I find is interesting, uh, something that most of our viewers are probably very well aware of, uh, that the so-called battleground states, right? and we're talking about Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Nevada, right, is included in that now. Um, I'm not sure who I'm leaving out there, but in any case, um, those are the states where the, uh, the greatest fraud uh, concentrated, where they had enormous, as they call them, dumps of votes for Biden after the uh, the ballot count was shut down during those few hours, but it wasn't shut down, right? There were still those kept behind to, um, to uh, receive votes, right? Shipments of votes that were arriving in trucks uh, for Joe Biden and... Uh, other votes that seemed to just materialize out of nowhere. So that when the uh, counting officially resumed the next morning, suddenly the, uh, the vote had changed dramatically. The vote totals so that they showed Biden now not far behind uh, President Trump in every one of those states, but now somewhat ahead and uh, of him in every single one of those states. And so... Um, the fact is, uh, Rudy Giuliani and uh, Jenna uh, Ellis, uh, attorneys for the president, have been have spoken before the Senate in uh, Pennsylvania and in Arizona. And uh, the senators there, at least the Republican senators, are calling uh, the vote into question. They don't want it certified from those states. They don't want the electors named for Joe Biden. <clears throat> Uh, they're willing to do battle, legal battle, to prevent that from happening. And they are insisting that the Constitution be followed, the United States Constitution, to which they've all uh, sworn an oath, a fealty, <laughs> and uh, the Democrats as well as Republicans. And the United States Constitution calls uh, for the legislatures of the states to have the ultimate power in naming the electors. And uh, this has been done in the past. Unfortunately, in the course of, the, of time, it has almost been kind of default, by default, left to uh, others in the electoral process. But by the Constitution, it really comes down to the states. Uh, 
And if uh, if the if the last resort uh, for resolving a disputed election, a presidential election, revolves around the legislatures of the states uh, voting. Each state gets one vote, as I understand it. This is what I'm told, anyway. And uh, that uh, this would fairly much assure uh, uh, the win uh, by... Uh, by President Donald Trump, that he would be uh, re-elected and, um, you know, carry on the second term as president. Um, I find it alarming, frankly, uh, that so many Republican officials are either so weak or so actually, well, I guess it wouldn't be too much to say treasonous, because after all, uh, that word has been has been used um, even by members of the intelligence community uh, saying that it is treason that is going on right now. Treason, a matter of a coup and uh, trying to subvert the United States of America by this fraud. So I wouldn't be the first to use this uh, term. Uh, but to see the Republicans uh, uh, betraying... Um, not only the president in this matter, but I'm afraid the country, as I see it anyway, is shameful. But it is, it is not entirely uh, unexpected. Because time and time, and time again, the left has resorted to just uh, immoral means to get power and to retain power. And uh, the, uh, those who talked a good game of being very conservative in the end, uh, you know, have just um, proved to be sleeper agents for the left. That's all they've, that's all they've done. All the way up, I think, to John Roberts, myself, Chief Justice of the United States. I, I consider him in that category, too. <clears throat> so they're just waiting for the right moment as operatives to pull the rug out from under those who counted on them to stand up and resist the left. They betray them. And um, now we find those who are not willing to uh, back down. And, uh, you know, it was feared that uh, something had gone wrong with the Trump campaign, uh, the Trump effort here, and when, when Sidney Powell was uh, distanced from the Trump legal effort. But <clears throat> it seems that uh, there, was a, there was a reason for that, and that was not a setback. In this, in this effort to, uh, but that Trump is not going to cede the presidency to what he considers to be a criminal element using fraud to try to gain power. Uh, it seemed to be a concession on his part when he told the woman who's the head of the GSA to go ahead and start the transition effort. <clears throat> but then it came to light that she was subject to so many threats against herself and her husband and her children and her pets uh, to get her to begin the transition to a Biden government, um, that it, it appears now that President Trump was just doing that to protect her, but he wasn't making any concessions. And that would be a very gentlemanly thing to do, to uh, see the situation she was in, and, and out of compassion, let her start the process so that she would no longer be the target of the, of the left's hatred and, uh, and vindictiveness. Um, just today, it came out that uh, Attorney General William Barr uh, said that uh, the, the Department of Justice can't really find any 
serious uh, grounds for you know, seeing fraud, at least not to an extent that it would change the outcome of the election. And uh, that, again, you know, might be considered to be a, uh, a betrayal of sorts. But then there are those who would not be surprised to find William Barr and, uh, and Durham, you know, this great investigator of the uh, Russia collusion hoax, who have just gathered all of this information and then basically um, uh, done nothing but hold it and done, done little or nothing with it which again is one of the reasons why we're in this fix right now. So um, a lot has to be overcome, a lot of opposition, uh, uh, even from our so-called friends, right? But by the grace of God and the power of prayer, it'll keep moving forward because you know, we pray for the fortitude of those who are willing to brave the, the hatred of the left in pursuing this and what they consider to be a matter of not only justice, but a matter of life and death for our own country right now. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you read about the chicanery, the manipulation of the vote by Dominion and, and well, ultimately by those who authored this whole, this whole uh, assault, you know, on our, our country and liberties and faith, um, going back to George Soros and his crowd, you realize over the years we've seen things happen that have been very, very hard to explain. A few years ago, we, we saw the abdication of Ireland. <clears throat> Ireland was faced with these, I guess they were referendums, I don't know, but uh, uh, to, to approve homosexual marriage, to approve abortion, things that were totally out of character for Catholic Ireland, and uh, by a two-to-one margin, uh, supposedly, the, the Irish voted in favor of uh, homosexual marriage and so on. And you ask, how could this be? I mean, we know the Novus Ordo was a poisonous, corrupting influence, but had the Irish so completely lost their faith that they would approve this, this monstrosity, this perversion by a two-to-one margin? And then you find out that Soros poured, well, through his, um, you know, spin-off companies and so on, and his agents, millions of dollars into Ireland to hire agents. And it makes you wonder, how was this vote taken back then? We, we know now how the communist Maduro came to power. We know how Chavez came to power in, in Venezuela. And we see that the same uh, instruments are being used now around the world to secure power by fraudulent means, by the appearance of popular choice, and yet contrary to the will of the people, securing power, how the leftists are rising into power by laws, lies, and fraud and deceit. And um, we see what happened in, in Venezuela, and it makes us wonder, well, what did they do in Ireland now? Was Ireland stolen, basically? by the left? I think so. I'm more inclined to think that this was another one of Soros' dirty tricks. And uh, that there are many good people in Ireland who did not want this, but that they were basically, uh, uh, essentially, what, what would you say, kidnapped or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, by uh, leftist lies. So, um, 
People are catching on to this with George Soros, though, how he operates, using his money to uh, subvert and suborn. Uh, but now we see this, the effort in our own country. And the, but the amazing thing is that now there are, now it's been uncovered. Now it's been exposed. And now those who have exposed it are willing to fight, to fight this out. We haven't seen that before, but this is something new. And I think the reason is because the power of prayer. I think the power of prayer is fueling this, that now there is exposure of the evil and now there is a willingness to fight it, even by people you wouldn't ordinarily expect, people you'd think were very worldly. But suddenly, if nothing else, they find uh, the virtue of piety toward their country, right, and patriotism. So in any case, um, we have to keep praying, Tom. That's the key. Uh, prayer is what is fueling um, the exposure of this evil, and the will to resist it. Um, so we we have to continue praise, uh, praying, and we have to redouble redouble those those prayers, and also take the initiative and support those who are willing to fight this, and because they have to brave a lot of fury, you know, from the uh, from the left. It takes a lot of courage to do so, a lot of fortitude. That's going to be the result of grace. So. Um, let's keep up that good fight and intensify it even more and not let them do it. Uh, there are more uh, legal efforts. The courts uh, keep shooting down Trump's legal efforts. I'm sure he's not surprised by this at all. He knows what he's dealing with here, okay? He knows he's dealing with years and years of, of uh, manipulation and years and years of uh, subversion by the Obama administration and others before him. And so uh, he realizes he's dealing with what they call deep state. And, um, but he seems to be making moves now to try to neutralize them so that they can, cannot uh, subvert his efforts. Um, well, we hope. Look, there are people who, who are saying, look, uh, Donald Trump was born of the same, of the same uh, mold, came from the same mold as the rest of them. And is supported, certainly in his early years, was supported by the same people who are behind all the others. And that may well be true, for all I know. You know, there are people who know a lot more about it than I, who have studied a lot more and have a lot more information. But the fact is that outwardly he represents something um, that is quite different from what the leftists are representing. And uh, the very fact that we will stand uh, for the good, the good things. That uh, some would say that he, he represents falsely, they say this is a, a charade. Well, they say that. But that doesn't change the, the fact that we, we have to stand for the good wherever it appears and uh, uphold that. And in this, in this uh, contest, there's no doubt that in so many ways, what Donald Trump alleges that he stands for is on the side of the angels. And uh, all we can do, basically, is um, um, you know, try to lend our support to that. Hopefully, the grace of God will do the rest. And, I mean, I know the grace of God will do, <laughs> will do the rest yeah. if we do what we're supposed to be doing. So. 
you know, and we'll convert the right hearts okay. to move forward. So anyway, we're still very much heavily engaged in the battle. We still need the prayers. We're still going to have the public rosaries um, here in Cincinnati, and I encourage people to do so elsewhere, all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a plan. <clears throat> uh, well, Father, we had a few emails that I would like to uh, read to you today. Um, <clears throat> several of these are, are along the same theme, Father, about um, just in general leaving the Novus Ordo and uh, seeking your advice uh, with that dilemma. So one of our viewers says uh, <clears throat> that uh, he says, I'm a practicing Catholic and I love listening to your programs. If I lived uh, nearby, I would want to attend services at your parish. My only concern would be regarding the validity and legitimacy of the services, as it is my understanding that the Society of St. Pius V is not recognized by Rome. So as much as I love the orthodoxy and wisdom of Father Jenkins, I'm afraid I'd be better off attending the hideous Jesuit parish two blocks away from me in order to remain faithful to Holy Mother Church. Father, how do you respond to this dilemma? Well, it may appear to be a dilemma. It really isn't, though. To say, I, this is, I mean, it's sad. It is very sad that yeah. he says, I'd be better off to attend the hideous Jesuit parish two blocks away. Yes. Um, the question is, is it Catholic? Is anything about it Catholic? Does it, uh, does it represent the, the Catholic faith? Is it true to the Catholic faith? Uh, do they have Catholic worship there, true Catholic worship? Um, do they practice Catholic morality and insist on Catholic morality? Uh, are they there to save souls? Uh, I mean, any number of things that, you know, are essential to something being Catholic, you know? Um, but you see, this is, this is what Satan has done. Uh, Archbishop Lefebvre stated very well, he says, the master stroke of Satan, obedience, to get people to betray the faith, in the, in the name of obedience. And, uh, you know, you, one can't help but think back to the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita uh, that uh, was a Masonic document, okay, captured in the Masonic lodges of northern Italy in the early 1800s, which outlined the plan to infiltrate the church and to seize control of the papacy. And uh, through the voice of the papacy, which everyone would think it was the papacy, is the, the, the document itself, the Masons actually said that people would be following the Masonic lodges and the orders of Masonry while they were thinking that they were following the directions of the Vicar of Christ on earth. He actually says that. They will be following us. They will be following the Masonic program. They'll be fighting for the Masonic cause while they think they are actually following the voice of the Vicar of Christ. And, uh, you know, that's very telling. Uh, there are those who would say, oh, that's one of the, another one of those conspiracy theories, uh, QAnon and all the rest of the 1800s. And it was Pope Pius IX who ordered that document published. He's the one who insisted that that may be made known, that this was the Masonic plan. So one cannot simply dismiss that and say, oh, that's just, um, you know, some kind of hysterical imaginings of conspiratorialist type of thought. It's not that way at all. The church herself had made it known to us what the Masonic plan was. And uh, so we have that happening right now. I mean, those who are following 
Francis right now are actually following the New World Order. They're following the voice, one of the primary voices for the Great Reset, the New World Order, um, the permanent instruction of the Masons, um, and they're following the Masonic Revolution. And they are, they're a party to it. And that's what this gentleman would be doing by going down the block to the, to the Jesuit, the hideous Jesuit church, he says. He would be part and parcel to the Masonic Revolution, masquerading under the guise of the Catholic Church. I mean, go, go back. I, I challenge all of our readers to go back and read the, uh, the text of the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita. We can actually uh, reference it on our What Catholics Believe website. If we haven't already, we should, right? And so that they know what the Masonic plan is to subvert the church from the early 1800s, even until this day, and see if they don't recognize then what happened in Vatican II and what has happened with the election of John the Twenty-Third, what happened with uh, Francis, the, the, with the uh, accession of Francis, right, as the, uh, the supreme pontiff of the new order, because that's exactly what he is. He's the pope of the new order. Um, so here the question is, uh, under the, under the uh, illusion and delusion of following the authority of the church, what is going to actually be complicit in attacking the church, subverting the church, and uh, actually uh, even falsifying, falsifying the church, and, and, and supporting the whole the Masonic plan of leading the Catholic people to follow the Masonic Revolution and to lend their support for the Masonic Revolution against the church, even as they claim they're being obedient. This was, this was Monsignor Lefebvre's great lament that, people, that Satan would use obedience to um, subvert the church. And, you know, this is exactly what, that, what Joe Biden, as far as I'm concerned, what Joe Biden is doing now. Saying, well, we have this vote, and, and I mean, the American people have to accept this vote. I mean, this was, this was a vote of the people. And, uh, you know, I'm the president-elect now, and, and people have to get with us whether they like it or not. We should all come together as good Americans and, and accept that choice. And those who realize it's a fraud will, will not do that, will not give into it. But people have to begin to realize that Vatican II was a modernist fraud. And uh, Archbishop Vigano has done everything that practically said as much. And yet... The religion that came out of Vatican II, that's the Novus Ordo, he hasn't entirely rejected yet. But ultimately, I mean, he's going to have to uh, decide it's one way or the other. Uh, and um, it, is to, it is to be utter, utter, utterly rejected. Um, as long as the Novus Ordo can keep gentlemen like this, evidently still have the faith, mm -hmm. as long as they can keep him in tow, as long as they can keep him in line, um, then, again, they, they, will get, they will have their way, and they will do enormous damage. And this is why they succeeded, precisely because of that kind of thinking. Well, I have to, st I have to stay with the church no matter what. That's what they, 
And even, uh, you know, when, when the church obviously is not giving you the voice of the shepherd, uh, they still say, well, I mean, I have to stay with it no matter what. Uh, regardless, even if the Pope's not Catholic, I have to follow him wherever he goes. Um, well, he's leading people, he's leading souls to hell is where he's leading people right now. This is where Francis is leading souls to hell. And he's leading the entire world into the, uh, into the Great Reset of the New World Order. Yep. Father, I'd like to, to read another email. It's very similar along, along the same lines, but um, I thought very instructive again. So this uh, is from a viewer, a young viewer who is a uh, recently converted Catholic passionate for sacred tradition. He says, I've listened to your videos for the past week and the arguments are persuasive. <laughs> However, uh, they ask, how can it be possible for the faithful to seemingly have to make the choice between schism and heresy? I read your writings on the website about union with Rome, but I can't see anywhere in the tradition of the church where Rome is considered separate from the Roman pontiff. Moreover, Vatican II is so ambiguous and ultimately devoid of meaning that it seems safer to just stay within the post-conciliar church and wait for a pious pope to come by the power of the Holy Spirit and clarify Vatican II in such a way that it lines up with pre-conciliar tra uh, tradition. Sorry. Yet such a course of action also seems cowardly and naive. So, Father, how would you respond to this line of questioning? To stay in the Novus Ordo and practice the Novus Ordo, which is not the Catholic religion, waiting for some pious pope to come in to actually restore Catholicism, right? And to restore the practice of the Catholic religion is suicidal. It's spiritually uh, dishonest. Uh, it is condoning sacrilege and blasphemy. And that's what the Novus Ordo really is all about. You might say that Vatican II is so ambiguous that, uh, you know, it, has no real meaning, it does have meaning. And those who were there and those who voted on those documents, they knew what those documents meant and they came back and they put it into practice. And that's what we call the Novus Ordo and it's not the Catholic religion. No, it is not safe to be there. It's exactly where you should not be. And uh, it, it, is, it is the first major step toward a one world religion, which is the religion of the Antichrist. And you sh no Catholic should be on board with this and no Catholic should be supporting it. Certainly no Catholic should be practicing it. So it just amazes me that people can't don't, can't see that, and that they they somehow can can justify this in their conscience as being, <clears throat> I guess, in their own minds, maybe the lesser of two evils to go along with that. I mean, well, the very fact what this young gentleman says here, and I thank God for the grace he's giving him. I mean, he's, at least he's giving him the grace to see there's something wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least that. But he's got to find his way through this this what what this moral dilemma is is called. That I have to choose between schism and heresy? Now, now think about that. Is that is that really possible? That that's that's a real dilemma, or is that an illusion? Is that the illusion that the Novus Ordo wants you to have? Is that their mind bending and their mind control to make you think that you have to choose between schism and heresy now? And if you don't uh, follow us. Uh, you're going to be schismatic, but if you do follow us, well, we'll lead you into heresy. <laughs> you know, um, this is just nothing again but smoke and mirrors thrown up by the Novus Ordo. It's impossible that Christ should give us a dilemma like that. Christ does not do that. Uh, this is the work of the devil to, to propose such a dilemma to people, to make everybody have to choose between uh, schism and heresy. 
I mean, as soon as the gentleman wrote that, he should have immediately realized, well, that can't be right. You know, Christ can't have put me in that situation. If anything, the modernists have put me in that situation. Francis has put me in that position. The devil has put me in that position. But it's certainly not Jesus Christ who's put me in that position. And the fact is that if I, if I choose heresy, I'm automatically choosing schism anyway. Right? I mean, you can't be a heretic without, without being a schismatic at the same time in the sense that you can't be a heretic without denying the authority of the Roman pontiff. Right? He was actually teaching the faith. <clears throat> So if the Roman pontiff is saying to be a, you have to be faithful to me, and the only way you can be faithful to me is by somehow condoning or at least tolerating heresy, right away you have your answer right there. And the answer is this is not the authority of Christ demanding me that I do this, period. And so this, uh, for my, if I decide to choose heresy to avoid schism, I'm choosing both. And if I choose the faith, Always, if this is the choice that's given me, if I choose the faith, I can't be choosing schism. Right? If I choose the faith over heresy, by definition, I can't be choosing schism because there's no authority on the face of the earth or in heaven itself that could command me to choose heresy. So how would I be defying the authority of Christ in, in choosing the faith over heresy? You see what I mean, Tom? Yeah. The whole idea is just completely outrageously nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. It's an, it's an illusion and delusion of, the, uh, uh, of, of Satan himself. Um, he's the great illusionist and delusionist who, who puts people on the horns of this, well, apparent dilemma that Satan himself has set up. But it's no dilemma at all, not for a Catholic. A Catholic sees right through that. It's based on lies. And I, I just pray that that young gentleman finds his way through because I'm afraid he's caught in that. He's caught in that, uh, in that smoke and mirrors of, of the devil. And I, I, I'm sure that our Lord will, will show him the way out of that, mm-hmm. of that illusion. Well, Father, here's, here's yet another one that's, uh, that's similar that I'd like to read to you. We've had this email for a while. Uh, this viewer says, I've been watching your program for a few months now and uh, last year, Father, he says, I went through RCIA at my Novus Ordo Church before I knew anything about traditional Catholicism or even much about Christianity. He says, I attend Mass regularly, but after watching what Catholics believe, I'm wondering if I made a mistake in being confirmed in the Novus Ordo. There is no traditional Mass near me. It would require traveling hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. Should I stop attending the Novus Ordo Mass? Should I stop and participate in what Catholics believe remotely? I did order the Baltimore Catechism uh, because I've read that that is a reliable catechism. So hopefully I'm on the right path, as le- at least as far as that con- is concerned. So thank you in advance, Father, and uh, what kind of advice could you offer here? Well, I, there was a, a book written in the early years of these changes called The Great Sacrilege, right? It's written by Father James Wathen. Yeah. Father Wathen himself had kind of a colorful career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, it seemed always trying to reconcile the revolution with, you know, went off with a false group of the Knights of Malta and, and wound up, uh, uh, I guess, in the Fiat camp and so on. <coughs> Excuse me. <now. coughs> yeah, Father. Yeah, Father. But one of the seminal books in this whole study of the Novus Ordo Mass liturgy was The Great Sacrilege, and it was about the new Mass. And to this day, I mean, that book is a very, very good analysis of the New Mass. I wouldn't say it's definitive. There have been a lot of other books that have been written. 
um, but they're building on the same premise, that the new Mass is a sacrilege. And therefore, I would, I would tell this gentleman, yes, stay away from the new Mass. Do not practice the new religion. Uh, you'd be better off, um, as Catholics were in missionary times, um, when, if there was no real Catholic Mass to go to, they certainly wouldn't go down to the Episcopalian Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Jewish synagogue. Or, uh, they wouldn't decide, well, this, I guess I'll have to worship as a Lutheran this Sunday because there is no real Catholic Mass available to me. Well, that's absolutely forbidden by the faith, right? And so, uh, yes, he should actually stay away from the, the new Mass and, and the entire Novus Ordo. And if the only way he can follow a true Mass is online, then that's that would be better for him to unite spiritually with that. And if he has to travel, he, he mentions kilometers, is he in this country? Or, uh, I'm not sure about well, anyway, I, I assume not. But, <laughs> but if, 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 even if he can only get to Mass once, uh, once a month or once every two or three months mm. to receive the sacraments, be worth, worth that's what he should do if he wants to be a Catholic, yeah. mm-hmm. and a real, a traditional Catholic. Uh, um, Father, that's... So that's, that's, he should but, avoid the Novosur entirely. That's one objection that we, uh, we very frequently see pop up in our email inboxes uh, from people similar to this who say that, you know, they love everything you say, they want to be traditional Catholic, but there's no, um, you know, society or, or congregation of St. Pius V Church near them. There's no traditional options near them. Mm-hmm. So they, they say, I guess I'm just stuck going to the Novus Ordo. Um, Father, is it possible to practice the traditional Catholic faith um, even if you're not, let's say, attending, you know, a, a traditional Mass every single week? Is this kind of the only requirement to, to, to practice a traditional fa- Catholic faith well, that you, know, you attend? You know. So much of the earth was mission ter- ter- territory. Our own United States of America here was mission territory until the 1920s sometime. And so there were large areas of the United States when Catholics did not have access to the Holy Mass every, every Sunday and Holy Day. Uh, they might have Mass once a month. And a missionary priest would pull through, you know, pull through town and minister the sacraments for them. And we're kind of back in those times now. Yeah. So, by all means, I mean, there was a 200-year span when the Japanese did not have any access to the Catholic faith at all, to practicing. In terms of uh, having the Mass and the sacraments available to them, they continued to be Catholics, believe as Catholics, practice as Catholics as well as they, as they were able. And when missionaries returned, they were still Catholic. They still had the Catholic faith. But if you go to the Novus Ordo, you won't be. Uh, if you look to the Novus Ordo to be your your faith, your, then your, your new faith will be modernism, and your new religion will be the new order. <laughs> and you're being uh, basically led by the nose uh, um, right into the new world order. Um, that's where the Novus Ordo is leading. The Novus Ordo religion is leading uh, souls in that, in that direction. Um, so you know, when we have discussions like this, uh, what comes to mind is the, 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 the little beast in the apocalypse with the, uh, with the lamb's horns, which the commentators tell us symbolizes ecclesiastical, something church-wise, something having to do with religion. And how he, this is, this is the figure who calls all mankind to worship the beast. But, Again, he is regarded as a religious figure doing that. 
And seeing what Francis has come out with, uh, I, I, I mean, this man is actually the religious counterpart of George Soros in my book. He's kind of like the, uh, the, the anti-Catholic answer, uh, the, religious, the religious figure that is a counterpart to George Soros himself, calling all to worship the beast of the, of the Novus Ordo, the New Order. Uh, he is pushing and pushing, and, and as time goes on, more and more vocally, more and more openly pushing the, the program of the Great Reset. All of the, um, the communist Marxist program. Um, so, I think people are going to, uh, they have to, they're going to have to compromise, compromise their faith, compromise their uh, loyalty to our Lord in order to, you know, stay, stay within the Novus Ordo. Eventually, they're going to have to um, give it up entirely. Uh, the Novus Ordo, the New World Order, will require them, ultimately, to make the, uh, one final choice to renounce Christ entirely. But that's the direction that the Novus Ordo is taking them right now, to renounce Christ. Well, Father, uh, another email here. This one's <clears throat> a little a little different, uh, but similar here. It says that uh, I've heard Father Jenkins say that while he does not believe Francis is the Pope, uh, he also does not believe in including Francis' name in the canon of the Mass. Father Jenkins, you also acknowledge that uh, you don't have the right to make the judgment for anyone else <clears throat> or say that those who disagree with you are not Catholics. <clears throat> However, you've also said before that you would deny the sacraments to people who attend uh, Fraternity of St. Peter chapels. What would be the reasoning behind this, and where would your authority come from to say that people who attend the Trinity of St. Peter, Masses, or other adult chapels are not true Catholics? Well, as I say, I don't have the authority to pronounce uh, dogmatically for everyone in the world that Francis is not a pope. I, I have my theological opinion on the subject. I think it's a matter of logic. And if a party disagrees uh, with that, I might think that they're illogical and might accuse them of being you know, illogical, but I can't say that uh, they're non-Catholic and that they're spouting some kind of heresy, right? <laughs> some, some denial of the faith. But uh, the fact is that, uh, as I'm sure our writer would say, uh, you know, the, the people have to, under the circumstances they follow their own conscience and then the basis of what they believe is the truth. And uh, so if I am going to be uh, convinced that uh, the Novus Ordo, the new order that came out of Vatican II, is actually a false religion and is not only a false religion, but is the false religion, which is the anti-Catholicism, which is meant to uh, supplant, replace Catholicism in the minds and hearts of uh, purportedly Catholic people, <clears throat> then I have to be, act consistently with that. And so if I have somebody coming from the fraternity of St. Peter saying, I want to receive uh, the sacraments from you, I mean, I, I would have to say, I mean, I would have to say several things to them. I have to say, first of all, the only way you could in conscience receive or justify in conscience receiving sacraments, sacraments from me would be if you betrayed what you yourself, you claim to believe is true. 
because you claim to be uh, under the authority and to acknowledge the authority of Francis as the supreme pontiff, and yet in coming to me to receive the sacraments, you would be disobeying him, who tells you you cannot do that in good conscience. So how can you justify that? You have to be violating your conscience, even in, in saying, I want to come to receive the sacraments from you, and saying to me, how dare I refuse them, right? If, if you came to me and said, I want to receive the sacraments, I'd have to warn you that you could not in good conscience do that based upon your own premises, right? Your own principles. Um, so, um, but, but I would say this also beyond that, that, you know, in, in refusing you the sacraments, the traditional sacraments, I'm, I'm seriously, simply saying that I believe that you are, however, mistakenly practicing a non-Catholic religion <clears throat> and that you are actually supporting and propagandizing for a non-Catholic faith, modernism, trying to make it seem, uh, trying to make the impossible seem not only possible, but to make it sound like it's real, that you can reconcile Catholicism with modernism. And you can't. Pope Pius X said it's impossible to reconcile these two things. And I agree with St. Pius X. So in other words, I believe what you're doing is actually contrary to the faith and is actually attacking the faith that you, you think that you're supporting and you think that you're uh, promoting, but you're not. And um, I'm not making a judgment of your conscience. I'm not accusing you of being guilty of anything, but I think you're wrong. And I have to follow my conscience, not yours. I cannot follow your conscience <clears throat> instead of mine. I have to follow my conscience in what I believe is right. And in denying you Holy Communion, that's exactly what I have to do. Uh, so if you want me to uh, acknowledge that you may be subjectively convinced that you're right, <clears throat> and that you thinking that this is the right thing to do, that this is what you should do subjectively according to what you believe is the right thing, then you have to give me that same benefit. <clears throat> that this is what I believe is the right thing to do. And I have good reasons for thinking so, for believing that. And as long as I do, this is what I'm, I'm, how I'm going to act on it. <clears throat> and... Um, it is on the basis of that that I, I have no choice but to say, no, I cannot give you Holy Communion, this Mass, um, not only for the sake of my conscience, but for the sake of yours. Um, you know, it's troubling, Tom. You know, you, ha you have somebody come to you from, like, uh, Saint Saudi St. Peter, something like Fraternity of St. Peter, and they don't see any problem. They don't see any problem receiving Communion at the Immaculate Conception, or going to the Society of St. Pius X, or going to St. Fraternity of St. Peter, going to some conservative Novus Ordo. It's all one big bailiwick as far as they're concerned. But the only way they can think that is if they've completely abandoned the whole idea, well, of the church, the integrity of the church. Just, uh, you know, go everywhere, you know, as long as it fits your your lifestyle or your your particular taste, you like the flavor of tradition, so I'll just go wherever they appear to be traditional. Um, I've had, you know, I, I have occasionally people come from the Novus Ordo and say, well, we're here, and we're, you know, we're going to come up and receive communion. 
I say, well, do, you know, do you recognize the authority of the Novus Ordo Bishop? Do you think that's the, the authority of the Catholic Church here in Cincinnati? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We recognize that authority. Do you realize that the bishop here, whom you recognize as the authority of Christ in this diocese, tells you you cannot come here in good conscience? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you realize the bishop wouldn't want you here? That actually your, your own parish priest would tell you, don't go there, you can't receive the sacraments there. That would be wrong. That would be sinful. They still believe in it. <clears throat> oh, yeah, 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 you know. But that, that's, that's okay. Now, how do, you how do you reconcile that with Catholic thinking? How can you even regard those people as Catholics? If they say they recognize that authority, but eh, who cares? They're, they're the schismatics. They are really the, the textbook definition of schismatics. And saying, yes, he recognizes the authority of Christ, and we don't care. It doesn't matter. We can go where we want, do what we want. Well, that's Novus Ordo thinking there. Yeah. You know? It's, it's kind of odd, you know, the people who've written here are the ones, they're so concerned about authority. The Novus Ordo hierarchy isn't concerned about that at all. As far as they're concerned, you don't have to be Catholic to save your, save your soul, if they believe it anymore. You don't have to practice the Catholic faith to see it. You can be a good Lutheran, a good Presbyterian, a good Jew, a good Muslim, and you still save your soul. God wills all these religions in their mind. So why on earth would a tradition or a conservative Novus Ordo be so concerned about authority when the very people whose authority they claim to be concerned about couldn't care less about it? Huh? It means nothing to them. <clears throat> Follow your imam, Francis would say. Right? <laughs> Save your soul, right? <laughs> Follow your imam. Follow your rabbi, right? You can save your soul just as well that way. Even an atheist. Yeah, even an atheist. You don't have to follow any authority. <laughs> even atheists can be saved. Francis said so. So here you have the anomaly of these Novus Ordo conservatives saying, oh, we've got to follow the authority of the Holy Father. The Holy Father doesn't even believe in his own authority. The only time he believes in his authority when he thinks he's, he's going to have to impress you and make you do what he wants. <clears throat> Otherwise, he's up there palling around with the imam and the rabbi, as though they're his equals. I mean, here's Paul VI takes off the ring of the fisherman, puts it on the, ring, puts it on the finger of the Archbishop of Canterbury. <clears throat> That's what he thinks of the authority of the papacy. And so it is such a, an anomaly, a contradiction for people to be saying, slavishly pretending that it's the way it was, you know, before Vatican II, as though this, this authority really means something to these people. It means nothing to Francis. He has redefined the papacy. As far as he's concerned, any imam or any rabbi or, or minister has as mu enough authority from Christ that you, you can go and you can save your soul with them too. That's Francis's way of thinking, you know. This is his concept of the papacy. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just telling people that if they're following the Novus Ordo, they're not following Christ. They have to come to that realization. They have to come back 
to follow the true Catholic faith, the true Catholic religion, as the Church has taught it for all of those centuries and centuries, the faith for which martyrs have given their lives, the faith that the fathers and doctors of the Church have written about for all those centuries, it is unchanged. It is exactly what it is. And the fact, you know, that these two gentlemen wrote as they did, they recognized that fact. They, they like the orthodoxy, one says at Immaculate Conception, and they see, you know, in choosing to avoid the choice between heresy and schism, well, um, you know, the only way I can avoid heresy is if I, if I come to the traditional faith, uh, but then I'd be in schism. But if I, uh, you know, don't, if I don't become schismatic and I'm loyal to Francis, but then I basically have to choose heresy. And, but, they're, but they're both saying the same thing. This is where the faith is in its integrity. But that's where Christ is. <clears throat> and they may say, well, what about the saying, you know, where, where Peter is there, is, there is the church. Where is Christ, right? There is Christ. And we'll tell you what, where Peter is, there is the faith, but we have to understand that where the faith is, that, that there's, there is Peter. Where the faith is, there is Peter. And if, and if uh, whoever is there is, is not with the faith, he's not with Peter, and he's not with, the, he's not with Christ either. Mm -hmm. The faith is the reference point. The faith is the reference point. What makes Peter the rock, he is, he is faithful. He is the rock and stands for the faith. And the moment he fails to stand for the faith, he's not the rock anymore. Right? Mm. So, um, anyway, I wish people could just see their way through the, the fog, the smoke, the mirrors of modernism and, uh, and the illusionists um, and the deceiver and just come to realize I have to, I have to, Hold fast to the faith, hold fast to the faith, hold fast to the faith, no matter what. And as long as I'm doing that, I can't be schismatic. It's impossible. Impossible. <laughs> I have to choose the faith. That's right. Well, Father, I had uh, several more emails that I wanted to read. Um, sure. If you're up for it. Sure, we, we had... We well, had... I, I guess so. We could try to... You answer them in our usual short, uh, <laughs> okay. six well, one, style. One, one that that, uh, that I wanted to mention was one of our viewers wrote in and, and said that uh, they they have noticed that uh, many Catholic colleges and high schools were using the literary works of uh, Flannery O'Connor, the author. So, what did you uh, what did you think of that, Father? Did you have any impression of her? Any impression of, of her works? Well, I'm no Flannery O'Connor scholar. I'm no aficionado of. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, I have an, an impression of her from what I have read, though. Um, so I actually consulted our own English department here at Immaculate Conception <laughs> to see if my own impressions were accurate. And I must say that um, our English department did confirm my impressions. Good. I mean, Flannery O'Connor, uh, you know, wanted to be a Catholic artist. She really in her own mind, she positioned herself that way. That was what her goal was, to be a Catholic artist and to reflect the Catholic faith. And especially in terms of, uh, well, you know, she, she used to read St. Thomas Aquinas every day and try to actually incorporate theology into her writings. And she said that you can't really be a, a novelist or a writer of uh, stories without a theological background. She didn't think it would be possible, really. 
because she always saw there had to be some moral behind it to make it even worth writing. Um, but the trouble was that she, she chose this Christian realism genre to write from. And uh, as we know, I mean, the, the, the Christian part is fine. The realism part in the world today, uh, things are rather distorted. And there's a tendency to get very grossly material. And so in her writings, I mean, she would have these rather grotesque characters uh, struggling with moral uh, issues, dilemmas even, and doing strange things, even very violent things, you know. And unfortunately, uh, those who are reading her now seem to be more, um, more impressed with the, the weirdness of the characters, the grotesqueness of the, of the characters and the mentalities they meet with, and the violence they meet with in her writings than they are with the actual theological meaning and the moral. But she, she herself realized that it's hard to understand the meaning, what she's getting at. And so, uh, I, as I was, you know, it was explained to me, and this confirmed my own impressions, that you almost need someone to explain to you what she's trying to tell you. And this is not healthy for Catholic art any more than it is healthy in Catholic theology. I mean, when you have modernism, you read modernism. You know, you read it like an encyclical by Francis or even John Paul II, and he's using all this language, and you need someone to tell you, well, this is what he's saying. And this is not a strength of modernism. It's, it's part of the deception and the poison of modernism. Well, when you have a Catholic artist who, despite whatever good intentions they have, you need some kind of a guidebook to figure out, okay, what, what do they mean by this and what do they mean by that? So you don't go off the rails and get the wrong understanding. That's a flaw. That is a flaw in, in the, the methodology, whatever it is. And I think that's true of Flannery O'Connor. And I'm not the only one either who sees that. I can see why mo the moderns today, you know, the modernists even, would go for that. Uh, there's every indication that Flannery O'Connor herself was very orthodox in her belief um, until later on. I mean, she's known for uh, actually rising up in a literary meeting in New York when some fallen away Catholic was attacking the Catholic belief in the Blessed Sacrament and defending it. Very, in a forthright and very decisive way, explaining the Catholic, the true Catholic teaching on the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And she was a real, uh, uh, shall I say, warrior for the faith in, in that setting. Um, about the, 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 not only the, the theology of the Blessed Sacrament, but also the significance of it for the life of the soul and the life of the church and so on. So there's no doubt that she had a, a real um, sincerity in her belief. But later on in life, she seemed to be becoming more and more enamored with Teilhard de Chardin. And that's the kiss of death for Catholic faith. She, she never seemed... Uh, her, her interest in Teilhard de Chardin probably came from more of a, a mystical bent, you know, because 
you know, evolutionary, uh, mystical evolutionary thought had a, a hold over a whole, you know, group of people and literary people back then. And, and evidently, uh, Flannery O'Connell was one of those. <coughs> he was kind of taken in by that. In fact, I understand the last collection of stories she wrote was entitled, um, uh, that all that rises must converge, and that comes directly out of Teilhard de Chardin, because yeah. she was impressed by his thinking. Um, and it's a false mysticism, but it can be, it can have a veneer of Catholicism, even having a certain odor of Catholicism to deceive. And that's what modernism is. I mean, it's just pure deception. And so evidently, Flannery O'Connor was drawn to that drawn into that. So one has to be very wary of later writings, but I was told that if you read the letters that she writes, it's where you see her faith expressed most clearly. In her letters, as opposed to her literary works, in her letters you do see that she really had the Catholic faith and a love for the faith, too. Is she the best artist to express the faith? Evidently not. Evidently her, well, what does St. Thomas Aquinas say in the Scholastics? Art is the idealization of the real and the realization of the ideal. But she seems to have missed that point somewhere along the line. In terms of her Christian realism, it seems to descend into the gutter. And you're reading about what's happening in the gutter there. She's not idealizing it, you know, and raising it up and elevating it. She seems to be trying to find um, Catholic morality in that. And it, it just brings you more into the mindset of Francis, who says he wants a dirty church. He wants the smell of the sheep. He wants the grime and the grit, and he wants to get into the gutter. And, uh, you know, I... I can't help but think that despite whatever good intentions she had, that Flannery O'Connor uh, kind of agreed with Francis in that. You know, that that's where she that's where she takes her readers. Uh, so that's not idealizing the real or realizing the ideal. Okay. Anyway, so personally, I think there are a lot better things to read. Honestly, they're, they're really good Catholic authors. I mean, Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson has got to be like at the top of the list. So if one had a choice between writing, reading the works of Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson or reading the works of Flannery O'Connor, there, there'd be no, no choice there, obviously. Uh, the works of Monsignor Benson are so far superior. Yeah. They're elevating. They're inspiring, right? And that's where we should go. I just wish um, all of the works of Monsignor Benson were available. But I think they're too Catholic <laughs> to, uh, uh, you know, uh, achieve a great deal of universal popularity because I think many people wouldn't be able to understand them simply because they're so worldly and, uh, and uh, shallow in their thinking. Monsignor Benson's, I mean, he writes these historic no historical novels, which give a very powerful insight into what was going on, you know, like during the Reformation in England. <clears throat> but again, 
to understand it from the from the uh, through the eyes of a Catholic and the Catholic faith, the Catholic Church. You know, you have to have the faith to appreciate that. But that's why anyone who does have the faith should be reading those okay. writings of Monsignor Benson. Yep. Well, thank you for that, Father. Thank you for everything. Oh, I uh, appreciate, appreciate your time. And uh, Well, you know, things are hanging in the balance right now, and yeah. uh, people are very nervous about that, Tom. Huh? It's not just some politics. It's the question of uh, the kingship of Christ, our Lord, and the whether there's any room in the world for our faith and our, our hope and our love for our Lord Jesus Christ, that's really what is hanging in the balance right now. As I started to say earlier, you know, it, it scares me when people are saying, well, you know, Trump is preparing to run for the year 2024. Well, I, I would say, think back to Venezuela, okay, when Chavez was running. I mean, imagine the time when they said, okay, well, Chavez used this fraud of this Dominion, you know, software and all the other the Dominion machines to steal the election and to basically um, steal the country of Venezuela. And now looking back, what would you have said to somebody who said, well, they stole the election this time, but, you know, the next time we have an election, I'm going to be ready. Well, we saw what happened to that. You can't get them out of power now. Once they get in, they're not going to give up that power. Everything they do is about securing that power and making sure no one can challenge them. Who in Venezuela can, can challenge Maduro right now? Who would even dare try at this point, right? And I'm afraid it's going to be that way here. Uh, I think if they pull off this, this fraudulent hijacking of the entire country through this, this, uh, uh, this, this fake election, that they are not going to give anyone an opportunity to um, challenge their authority. The left understands what's at stake here, all right? So this talk about Trump thinking he's going to run in the year 2024, I really don't think that's Trump's thinking. I think that's the leftists floating that idea. Well, let's just look forward to 2024. By that time, they'll be ready and we'll, we'll really show them and we'll carry the day, right? And you know what? I think that's propaganda. No, I, I, I think with many of the, 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 the battle has to be fought here and now. Whether the, the, the American people and their, and their vote has any place anymore in our republic, or whether we've had the last election, true election, years ago, and, uh, and it's over. Essentially, there are those who actually are coming to the realization that if they carry off this heist, it's over. And I don't think they're exaggerating. I think they're quite right. The, the encouraging thing that I find, though, is that I don't believe that Joe Biden and his Catholicism, his Catholicism, his, his uh, species of Catholicism, got 80 million votes from the American people. I don't believe that. I think that's a, that's a bald-faced lie. And I do think that uh, what Joe Biden stands for, with his abortion and perversions and those so far, were resoundingly rejected. <clears throat> and his the, the, the socialism, whatever he calls it, I mean, he is the man they've got marked for, and Kamala Harris 
to bring the United States into the New World Order lock, stock, and barrel for the Great Reset. They're counting on him. And uh, Trump is the one they know will resist them. And he's standing in their way. A lot of people are coming to understand that now. So they realize, as the left is all in on this, well, we have to be all in too. We have to be up to the fight. But for us, the fight is not for mere politics. The fight is, fight is for civilization. And uh, at this point, what's left of Christian civilization? We are in it for fighting for our lives, our souls, fighting for our faith, uh, fighting for the church, fighting for our Lord Jesus Christ. If we fight the fight for that reason, we're invincible. We have to be faithful and true to these things, too. You understand. I think you even agree. <laughs> I think so, Father. <laughs> I think Charlotte would agree. Too. I think so. That's okay, well, that's good enough for me. So. <laughs> Sounds good. So pray. Pray the rosary. Yeah. But then if God is prompting you to take action that is consonant with your faith, you have to be ready to rise to the occasion, too. Absolutely. Thank you, Father. God bless you. God bless you, too. Yep. And Thank God bless the United States of America. That's right. First of all, by showing his mercy and purifying this country. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.